Welcome to the Embrace It series, where women with all types of disabilities can be real, resourceful, and stylish. With each episode, you'll walk or roll away with everyday tips, life hacks, and success stories from community leaders and influencers. So take off your leg braces and stay a while with Lainey and Estella. Hi, I'm Lainey, and I have CMT. And I'm Estella, and I also have CMT, a neuromuscular disorder affecting approximately 2.6 million people worldwide. That's as many as MS. We believe disabilities should never get in the way of looking or feeling good. Both of us wear leg braces and have learned through our own personal journeys to embrace it. Brought to you by Launchpad 516 Studios. Each episode is designed to challenge your own stigmas and beliefs around disability. We want our listeners to get the most value for their time spent with us. So we interview some of the most empowering disability badasses in the world. Through storytelling, personal experiences, and tips, we're all reminded of our own strengths and endless potential. For more information and exclusive resources, check out our websites at trend-able.com and hnf-cure.org. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button for future episodes and special promos. Hi, everyone. I want to, well, Estelle and I want to welcome you to another episode of Embrace It. And Today, I know we start off every time saying we have a special guest, but this one is special to both Estella and I in a huge way. And I think many of you who listen here, and we know we, we're all about you know all different types of disabilities and having influencers and people who are doing amazing things with all different types. But today, um, we have a guest with us who has Charcot-Marie Tooth Disorder, like Estella and I do. And she's super cool and awesome and has an amazing story to share. And, you know, she's also sort of like in the Hollywood world. Well, she is in the Hollywood world and has done really cool things, which I'm going to let her tell you all about. I want to welcome Becky Edgeberger to Embrace It. Hi, Becky. Hi, thank you guys so much for having me. It's such an honor. It has been a journey both um, individually, but also with you two. I think from the moment I met you both, my own acceptance has gone up and down like a bit of a roller coaster. So it's nice to finally be on the other side and talk openly about everything with both of you. When you and I first met, Becky, and just to give people a little update, I launched Trendable. Now it's been almost six years. Can you believe it? I mean, crazy. Um, so six years ago, I put this website out to the world, had no idea what the response would be. And one of the first emails, um, you know, the month I launched it was from you. And like in it, it was basically like, I have CMT. My aunt saw your website and passed it on to me. I'm kind of in denial, but I'd love to do something. I do a lot of dating or trying to date in the world of, you know, 20 something people at the time you were in your 20s right and um you were in the hollywood world doing american were you doing Amer- i think it was american idol or you had yeah. just finished american idol and i was yeah i just finished american idol and i was working at the voice at the time so my kids started jumping up and down they're like it's, it was like as if you were like one of the main stars of one of those shows they were like super excited and um you wrote for me you know one of the best like blogs we have, which was on your experience with dating with CMT. And at the time, um, you were like, it's okay to put my name on it. 
I'm trying to be more open and accepting and I'm learning about CMT and what I have. My mom really didn't talk about it much, but you know, this is my attempt to like give back and fast forward. <laughs> I don't know. I think it was maybe a year later, two years later. I don't know. It was a co- It was probably a, two to three years later. I was already living in New York. You're like, uh, Lainey, uh, I'm dating. And all these guys, when they Google me, not only do they see American Idol and and the voice and all the stuff I do, but then they see this article that says, you know, living with CMT and dating. And I don't want them to see that before I tell them or feel like I want to tell them. So can you remove my name from the internet? (laughs) (laughs) Um, hmm, How do I do that? And, that's where we're at. and then I was like, oh my God. Okay. And so fast forward, we're going to get to this. Um, just last week, Becky wrote an amazing post about her experience and her life. Mm-hmm. And we're going to link to it and about her experience having surgery recently um, for CMT with CMT. And you promised me in your beginning part, <laughs> I would not make you or ask you to take my name off of this. No going back. No going back. That's right. No, I (laughs) quickly add to that, that you retold that perfectly. And I think, I think what I experienced was the difference between where I wanted to be and where I actually was. And I think in my mind, I thought, of course I would, what a wonderful opportunity. I think when I saw your website, it was, it was sort of this idea that I was like, I, I mean, I can't say I thought it, but it it felt like, oh, what a, I relate to this woman, this woman that has CMT, that's been living her whole life, who wants to dress cutely, you know, cute and not necessarily sacrifice fashion, but also live her life like, um, you know, uh, both socially and um, with relationship, just confidently and, and not, and everything we would, we would see when you Google CMT, it's like, I can't identify with those women. And I think when I saw your website, I immediately identified with you and thought, yes, this, this is so important. But then when I, when we did post it and then it was put into practice and then I experienced the reality of, of men ask, telling me, which sounds ridiculous. It sounds a bit vain, I guess, to assume. I don't, I really don't think all men Google your name before first date, but it did happen more than once. So that was enough to scare can I swear? Okay. Scare the shit out of me. And I think my insecurity had not caught up to where I was um, hoping to be mentally. And so I was still, my, my gut reaction was just, can we bury this somewhere? I don't want this out there because I'd rather tell them myself, you know, and I just think I needed to get there in my, um, on my own, but uh, yes, coming around, (laughs) I was like, you're going to think I'm crazy. But let me just say for any teenagers listening, um, guess what? When you put your name to something and your face on the internet, you can remove names, but it's forever there. <laughs> they will still link to you because your name was attached at one time. So you can never completely remove someone from anything you post. So please yes. don't send naked pictures and put it on the internet ever. <laughs> little public service message for those <laughs> Good lesson to learn. But yeah, I think at the beginning you were like, okay, well, this sounds like a great idea, but just so you know, I don't think I can just post something with, you know, an anonymous author. I don't know. I was like, no, no, no. I think I've thought about it long and hard and I am ready. I'm prepared. So attach away. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, Becky and I too, I was there at that first meeting where I 
it was also the first time I met Lainey in person. So both of you that night, um, we connected in New York City. And it was just, I just remember feeling so energized to be at a table with women my age talking about CMT. That was never, that had never happened other than, you know, me and my sister in my entire life. So I just remember that being a really, you know, special day. And then fast forward, you know, in addition to the article that you were doing with Lainey, we were excited to bring you in on H&F side too and and see if we could merge your, you know, your writing about dating with the CMT world and share a little bit in a, a video format, uh, kind of a mini documentary that we put together for CMT oh. called Dateable. And just, you know, a quick little skit about uh, a, a woman like yourself dating with disability out there and what that was like. Maybe you could give us like a little bit of a teaser because we're going to put the film in the show notes, but tell us a little bit about what we ended up doing for that. Yeah, that's right. Gosh, that was right after I moved to New York too. So it was such a whirlwind time. And when I look back on that, I'm so proud that we managed to um, get that together and put it out there and attach it to that premiere of that documentary in time. And I yeah. did impact um, even from the people that saw it there, which was wonderful. But um I I think it was it was really just trying to narrate the thought process that I tend to go through before first dates and um, learning that perhaps I put so much pressure or emphasis on on the CMT factor while not necessarily realizing that everybody sort of has an insecurity or something about them that they might immediately sort of have pop in their mind as soon as they're approaching a brand new person and trying to put themselves out there like oh gosh they're going to notice you know I think we went with, we decided not to go to disabilities. We decided to go with like a guy that has a bald spot. That's not necessarily visible in his photos or whatever, but what that feeling is like for that person too. Meanwhile, the whole time I'm driving myself absolutely insane, you know, trying to minimize my walk and um, how do I, if it does come up, do I, how do I bring it up and how do I approach it? What do I wear? And, you know, where do we sit and all of that. And then cut to at the very end, revealing his own inter- internal do- dialogue, which was like, God, I hope she, you know, she's cute. I hope she doesn't notice my bald spot. And it's like, yeah. I think a lot of times it just come down to that. Like no one's really necessarily paying attention to the things that we tend to obsess about. Um, yeah. I mean, it was powerful and and we definitely encourage everybody to check that out. And And you're right. It was what was really intriguing for me was that it was that internal dialogue that we think we're the only one with that internal dialogue, but really everybody's walking around the earth with that. You wrote in your article uh, with Lainey a lot about your personal journey, accepting CMT and like coming out with CMT. What do you think were parts of your childhood that may have Because you talk about, you know, your mother's relationship to her CMT and how that affected you. And I think that, again, that's so important to to look at our family dynamics around disability and how they affect us and create those internal voices as we become adults. Right. And I think, you know, that was something important to me with writing the article because, um, you know, not to not to jump too too far ahead, but I think initially bringing the idea to Lainey of like I want to tell the story of my surgery journey because it was so Im- impactful, and it wasn't to tell it to be like oh look at all this big stuff I went through because I didn't feel that way. I felt like this was such an incredible opportunity, an amazing ride, and I wanted to sort of put it out there to be like you like don't be intimidated by this process because it was actually 
I found it to be quite lovely. And I learned so much about myself and surprised myself in a lot of ways, but to sit down and start at the surgery point felt like starting halfway through a movie. And it was important to me. And I began writing that backstory about my mother and I and communication and, and or lack of it growing up about CMT because that was how I got to that place. And so I was like, even if we don't end up including this in the article, it felt that I needed to write that out for myself first to then get to that mental space where I was when I finally pursued the surgery aspect of it. And I think that's also how I got to like contextualizing my mother's period in her life when she started showing symptoms in her late teens, early twenties and what that was like for her, because it was so easy for me when my, before I had CMT or, or before I had symptoms of it, or when they were so mild to, to judge her for that, or to be critical of it or to blame her. And I think when you take a step back, you realize, oh, there's so much more to it. The story's not that simple. And really it had to do with the time period in which she grew up, the communication style of the family, the fact that her dad who had it wasn't even alive beyond, you know, or 18 years old. So there was no sort of plan in place of this is how we're going to talk about it. No one showed her how to talk to kids about it. So like, how would you know how to then discuss this with your own kids when they're going through similar experiences? And I think part of what I learned too, was those early years that were so difficult emotionally and hard for me to understand that I was still a whole person and also still cool and still, you know, could be attractive regardless of this thing. It was, I think I, I experienced it the same way that she probably did, which was like, oh no, this makes me less than, or this makes me below average. Um, we were so active and now I've lost that. How will, if I can't see myself as whole, how are other people going to see myself as whole? So I started noticing that I was taking a very similar path and I, I guess I just, I, I hate, I don't want to compare it to her because I think she's, she's through me and through me being so open about it eventually has sort of first forced the conversation there as well, which has been wonderful to see. Um, because I think I realize I don't want to necessarily have this battle my whole life of worrying about this as more of seeing it as more of a burden and not being able to talk about it openly. Cause I can, I see now how that not, isn't necessarily health healthy, both for you and your relationships. And that was the other thing I put, it definitely put up a wall between me and, I would say, I would say men in dating because my friends, of course, were and family accept me for who I am. And a lot of times they would listen and identify with what I was tried to identify with what I was going through. But at the same time, I think it was harder for them because they're like, well, I don't, but you're Becky. So I see you as who you are and you're wonderful. It's not, I don't see CMT. I see you, you know, so they would try so hard to explain to me that like the same thing could happen with men of the or with people of the opposite sex but i could not for the longest time see that and maybe that mm. was physical maybe part of that was you know my mother was a cheerleader and i was a dancer and a cheerleader and we focus so much on like our physical selves that we kind of forget oh there's this whole other aspect to human beings that goes beyond the physical yeah and my story you know even though i love that estella said that when she met you and i for the first time it's like she was like people our age but literally i'm 10 years older than estella and probably i don't know 20 years older than you or something so but my experience was similar because obviously you grew up it like i did um where there wasn't internet and you know there weren't people that we could see that looked like us, that your mom didn't have people. My mom, who, you know, you guys, most of you know, 
um, had CMT and is now deceased. She died literally three weeks after I launched the website. But she she wasn't embarrassed. She just didn't talk about it ever. <laughs> like She just made it because my mom's disabilities were very visible. She had hands that were very much clenched in a fist. Um, she had trouble getting in and out of a chair, pulling up pants, all of that stuff. So it wasn't like invisible, like my um, disabilities mostly are. So she was constantly encountering people who were like, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? And my mom was just, she taught me indirectly, like, just blow it off. Like <laughs> You don't need to go into detail. Like, just, it is what it is. Like, so I lied all the time. I'd be like, I was in a skiing accident and I was in this, whatever, because it was so much easier. And because of the stigma that I know exists with, you know, when you say you have something. So, you know, when you wrote that article about dating, I, um, at that time I had, I was married to Howard, but I had a short window of time when I was divorced and in the dating world again with leg braces for the first time. Cause when I was originally married um, to my kid's dad, I did not wear leg braces. And I remember that gripping fear of like this guy seeing the leg braces, which meant like, I'm never going to get intimate with anyone and because then they'll never see them. Right. So I remember that feeling of like, oh, what if he touches my leg, like lower than, you know, my knee, like then he'll see him. So people who are listening, you know, we were there, like I was there, Becky was there, you were, you know, and it felt like it's, it's so much better. I don't know about you, Becky, but like my life in general is um, so much better just being direct and authentic. And it's the it's saying of, I don't know if this is a saying or if it's just something I say, which is probably <laughs> true, which is like you, you know, the things you focus on, like when you focus on your CMT and whatever, that's what people will focus on. But if you don't make it an issue in a bad way, then chances are the guy, the girl, whoever you're seeing isn't going to make it a big deal either. You know, that's, that's, I, that's um, perfectly said. And I identify with that so much. And that was something that one of the many things my therapist worked on with me was, was exactly what you just said. She was, she helped me a lot to understand that because at the time when I started seeing her and my motivation was twofold, it was CMT and like my father had just died. So it was like enough, enough is enough. I guess it's finally time to listen to my friends and like see somebody. And, and I understand now the benefits and it was slow. It wasn't immediate. It's not like one session and you're cured. It takes persistence, but she, it was exactly that, that we tried to focus on. It was like, how do you, as long as you see it as this big thing and it's the first thing about you when you walk in the door, or that's what you perceive that other people think about you then then the other people pick up on that energy, whether it's friends, um, family, or potential relationships. And it took me a long time to break through that. And it wasn't necessarily a, a linear progression. It was like some some weeks or some dates were better. And then I would slip back down and you would just continually work on it. But eventually it would start this sort of steady decline. But you're absolutely right. It was like, when I was finally able to get there and shift my perspective on it a little bit. And not that it's like, okay, I don't have it. I'm going to ignore it or lie about it, which I understand that too. I've done that in the past as well, but kind of find a different way to frame it. And I think once I was able to do that for myself and then work that into conversations when it would come up, you, it, it, it's two sentences max if I want it to be. And she, my therapist also taught me like, I can drive that conversation. It doesn't have, I don't owe anybody any information. I can share as much or as little as I want to about myself, mm -hmm. but I can also say it without 
so many words of going into like, you know, a health, like a doctor exam on a first date. You don't have to do that either. But I overall, once I've shifted that perspective, I do feel so much lighter and like my life is so much better because that's not the the forefront of my focus with everything. It's it's amazing how much more honestly fulfilling my life is, but also how much more room there is for other stuff that actually matters. It's like that doesn't matter in so much as it's it's not going to go away if I no matter how hard I think about it or how much time and energy I waste on it. So maybe it would be best to try to minimize that a little bit and focus my energy elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. You like really did the 2.0 version of like coming out of denial and acceptance. And Mm -hmm. I was the 3.0 version, which maybe this new post that you wrote will help you to get there is like not only not making your disability be a big deal and using it maybe as an excuse to like not date, but then how about you know, that it gives you strengths that others might not have, that you see that guy that you're meeting and you're like, oh, I have a disability and you frame it, which is true, that this makes me like a catch because I'm literally going to be the person who's going to be more sensitive, more aware when you dude get old, (laughs) like, I (laughs) because I get it, like all of that. But your blog post, getting back to that, which is was amazing, your most recent one, which is like, as Estella said, all about your journey, starting with, you know, the messages you got growing up um, in your family, and then to you today, um, you know, kind of give us, if you don't mind, like, I guess the abbreviated version of what happened. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it is funny that it starts out with shoes. Like you look <laughs> you're like, wow, I thought everything was so hard. It was like, I can't wear my four inch heels anymore. I had to downgrade to three. It's like <laughs> obviously now I have no platforms of any kind in my closet, but I say that with a smile on my face because I don't care anymore. Like, and that I guess is a wonderful feeling to see how far you've come and I, yeah, back then it, it started because I, because it was hard. I was definitely not in a place where I was open to talking about it. So the first concern was like, oh gosh, yeah, what do I, I like to be stylish. I like to look nice. Plus I'm only five, three, I'm short. I'm used to, you know, putting myself on stilts. So I'm, so I'm taller and had always had big calves to the point where I used to think my calves were too big. It was just mm. so hilarious. The things that we focus on. Um, but I think I guess the next big hurdle really was dating because I was also newly single at that time. So I think I was also trying to navigate, you know, dating apps for the first time and actually being that person as an adult that goes out on dates with strangers and puts yourself out there repeatedly. I had never done that before in my life. Like college, I I could care less and then dated two guys for four years back to back and didn't deal with this. So I think it was coming to terms with that, which is probably why that was at the forefront of my mind when I saw your website for the first time, Lainey, and wanted to be a part of it. It was, how do I work this into dating? Um, and I think what I had to realize the hard way was that I was putting the car before the horse and I had to have that journey on my own before. Um, you know, it's hard mm-hmm. to say without sounding a bit cliche, but it was, but it was true. I had so far to go on my own before I was ever ready, remotely ready to let somebody else come close. Um, when I wasn't even able to kind of see that part of myself yet, it was one thing to talk about shoes, but it was another thing entirely to like, accept that this is, 
this is here to stay. It's probably going to get worse. You know, tripping increases your sort of life quality. You have to shift some of the activities that you used to do. And yes, with work, it's like my job is on my feet, not necessarily every day, but such a big part of it is, is um, running around a set, being in production. And, you know, they don't, it doesn't slow down for anyone. So it's like, how do I sort of merge the two and not just talk about it on dates anymore, but it became like, how do I maybe comfortably talk about this at work? And because of the nature of my job, I work directly on production. So I do tend to switch a show every two years, three years, you know, I've had some good runs with five years, including my current show, but it's like every time when the CMT would get a little bit worse. It was like, okay, maybe I do have to address this. But you actually don't. It's like, I guess it. other people don't care. Like at last week tonight, no one ever asked me for the first year and a half that I was there about how I walk or am I okay on set? You know, nobody babied me. It was sort of like, it's on my terms. But when it got to a point where it was like, I wouldn't mind being a little bit vocal about it to say, I, if I'm going to be on set all day, I need a chair. I need something to at least lean on in between. Uh, I need to go a little bit slower here. I need somebody to go do this other thing. I was very aware of not wanting to put to, I'm certainly stubborn in that way. Like I want to do everything myself, but it, it does become empowering to also ask people for help when you need it. And I think the part about learning how to communicate effectively, both in with potential dates, but also at work and with, with anybody that might not understand exactly what it is, became a huge tool for me. Um, that, helped to my success there as well, because the same went at work, the more I was able to sort and it and not with it being this big health conversation. It was just like, Oh yeah, I have a neurological disorder. It's a bit difficult for me. Um, the muscles in my hands and feet are weak and, you know, balancing is hard, which I find myself always explaining the balance thing because you don't see it. You see somebody, mm-hmm. I guess, but you don't, you don't see that part, but it's like on set, that's something that's probably the hardest for me. Um, and the more I would open up about that, the more receptive people are and, and so willing to help you. And I think they like to be loving on that too. And then it is that relief, like, okay, great. You know, now we can move yeah, on and like, talk about the task at hand. I yeah. don't know question, but like, I guess, oh yeah. So that was, I guess the next step was, was dealing with it at work. And then um, I think throughout the whole time, just continuing therapy and trying to hold up that mirror and get a little bit more comfortable in my own skin. I think New York helped me in that way too, because I realized everybody has so much going on in their own lives that a no one cares what like no one's looking at me walking down the street. Um, they all have plenty going on, and I, I just think I feel a lot like myself in this city as well. And that also added to my confidence, and so it all kind of worked together. Um, and now I was still a bit—I don't want to say stubborn, but I think the way I, I framed it in the in the article was that I was while I had made some mental progress, I did still at times struggle to accept that, you know, AFOs were the only option. That's it. Nothing else. And you're, you're walk, you'll walk like this forever. So that's how I ended up continuing the research and finding Dr. Pfeffer online, even though, and I and immediately recalled meeting him years ago when I was nowhere near considering surgery and kind of went down that rabbit hole and got obsessed with that. Not necessarily at that point for, trying to achieve perfection physically. I think I had finally gotten to a point where it was less about that and more about if I could improve my quality of life, if I could walk just a little bit easier and make my my life on set a little bit easier. My well, I walk so much in the city. Like that felt like reason enough. Like at that point, I'm like, I'm not trying to achieve 
like go back. I, I understand that I'm not going to go back to my pre CMT body, but even if we get an incremental improvement, that seemed worth it to me. But I, I do think that emotional part was was really necessary to get to before going that route. So I, I, I do think you have to be a bit emotionally strong to go through that yeah. process and to be ready for it, you know? We'll be right back. This is George, Fred, and Jason, the co-leaders of Speak, interrupting to say that we hope you're enjoying this episode, but please make sure to check out our new show, The Speak Podcast, another great show produced by Launchpad 516 Studios. New episodes available every week on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Each Speak Talk is about six to 10 minutes in length, and the talks are given in storytelling format. There are three key moments in each Speak Talk. The moment of truth, the moment of transformation, and the moment of impact. We host pop-up events all over the world, and now we're bringing our talks to your device. Join us on the Speak Podcast as our speakers step onto the stage and into the spotlight with impactful ideas and stories. We'll let you get back to the show you were listening to, another great podcast from Launchpad 516 Studios. You're tuning in to Embrace It with Lainey and Estella, brought to you by Launchpad 516 Studios. I think there's a lot of expectations there, especially with with surgery, and you have to be realistic to some degree because, like you said, it's it's not a cure by any means, but it is meant to improve your quality of life and your function. I remember when I had my surgery, my surgeon promised me that I would never have to wear leg braces again. And I, at the age of 12, like that was the most important thing in the world to me just to fit in. And I took his word as absolute truth. And within a year, I was wearing them again because I just realized I am just, I feel like I'm walking in quicksand even after the surgery. I was way better. My feet were straight, but I was just not functioning at the way I was. So for you to come to that place, because I think, whether it's CMT or not, a, a lot of times the surgery or major life interrupting treatment is a big decision, right? And we have to take a leap of faith that that is going to be something on the other side, even though it's going to be a really shitty situation for a while, that that's going to be what's best for us and that the risk is going to be worth it and that we need to come to a place where we need to put our life on hold, as I'm sure you had to experience putting your career such a busy and and time consuming and energy consuming career on hold to put yourself first. Can you tell us a little bit about when you made that decision and you said it was such a positive experience for you in so many ways? Um well I think also what helped um like because it does require so much time away and away from work, it was important that I was able to even have those conversations before you bring up Hey, by the way, I have this, uh, like, where do you even begin that conversation with your boss if they don't know anything about it? So I think right. I getting to the point where I was like, I feel comfortable and open enough to be able to talk to them about this, the, the people that I need to, um, then I, I explained it. And I think only to two or three people at work, all of my bosses, and they couldn't have been more supportive. And they were all like, you can give as much or as little info as you want. Don't feel that you have to, but if you, but if you would like to share, 
Um, we, I would love to learn. And I loved that because it made me, it was like, they were taking a genuine interest in what I was not just the dates of the surgery, but the whys and how it made me feel and what I was going through. And so I think all of that helped a lot, but I, I will say I got, I guess, well, perhaps lucky is not the right word because it was a pandemic. And I realized that a lot of a lot of awful things happened during that time. But it, when and when it came to removing myself from day-to-day routine, I was working remotely already anyways, because it was 2020. And I we typically have about a two-month hiatus over winter. So in my mind, I was thinking, well, I could do it over winter. And potentially that bleeds into the beginning of next season, but we will most likely still be remote anyways. So hopefully it's okay. And when I brought it up, you know, the response was, well, you know, you could tell. And and I was like, I'll wait until after our bit, we did this huge finale shoot. It was really intense and crazy. And I was like, I'll wait until everything's done and wrapped up and and schedule the surgery for like immediately after that. And they were like, you could tell us that there was only one time of year that they could do this surgery. And it was at the busiest time and it would still be okay because your health comes first. And that was the answer. So, you know, it sealed the deal and, and made the whole process I guess going into it easy because it wasn't, I wasn't feeling stressed or anxious when it came to what I was missing. I'm also, you know, single. I don't have any kids or family. So I understand that that's something else that people have to consider. I know people are listening and we are not Estella and I, nor Becky. None of us are doctors. None of us are CMT medically trained. Um, we might know a lot, but we are not. Um, and also, I want to also say that on Hereditary Neuropathy, HNF's website, which we're going to put in the notes, they have a whole section on surgery and links to the surgeon. So you can get your own virtual assessment, whether or not you'd be a candidate completely free. But Becky, what was it for those who are listening, who aren't going to go to HNF and aren't going to take the time? Is there like, how did you know you'd be a candidate? Like, what was the, in a quick thing without being a doctor, if people right. who are listening, I know I wouldn't be a candidate. I wear two leg braces. I've worn them for many years. There's no helping me <laughs> to have by having surgery. Like there's nothing that surgery would benefit me personally, like his surgery, but you were different. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. Honestly, I did not know if I was a candidate or not. I just, in my head was like, I am going to do this. Like I will do whatever it takes to get Dr. Pfeffer to take a scalpel to my feet because he has magic hands. Um, I didn't think anything. I, I also, I, and I, look, I did have to manage my own expectations in that, which he is pretty clear with Every interview I think he's done and every everything you'll find on the internet about him is that not everybody is a candidate. Like you said, he will even tell you some people are better suited for braces and will be helped more with braces. Um, some people, you know, I think the most obvious ones are people that um, tend to walk on the outsides of the feet. He can help flatten that out, even if you do still need braces. Um, so that one becomes most obvious. Now, the other thing he looks for is having some strength in other tendons in your foot. So some may be weak, but you may have some others that still have a lot of strength. And he's looking for those other strong tendons that he could potentially move to the top of your foot to then help it lift up to help with foot drop. So I think that's... Because yours, your surgery was a tendon transfer, which is another common CMT. But then of course, there are reconstructive bone realignment surgery. So that the, we're talking, you needed to be at a certain level for the tendon transfer. Exactly. And we actually, yeah. 
And we actually did both of those. So everybody, that's the other thing. I guess it's a hard, before you have a consultation or if you're out of state or out of the country, they have um, sort of a short list of uh, videos to take of your feet so they can get an idea of how they move. And we did do a full reconstruction as well because my foot was not at 90 degrees. It was well below the 90 degree. um, So he had to, he had to flatten it out in order for the tendon to even work. But, um, I didn't have, I think the normal, like some of the regular tendons that he's used to seeing, or if your foot can move strong, either inward or outward, there's like a tendon that like some people seem to might not have the ability to lift the foot, but if they can return, like still can fully turn it to the left, fully turn to the right. Those are like the, the top choices, I guess I would say for him. And then he's also, um, I think over the last five, six years started doing the toe tendons as well. Some people still have strength in their toes and the ability to curl and flex them. And so those will even help or sometimes double up and and add extra reinforcement. I didn't have any of those. All of the strength in those tendons that he would look for first were gone. And that's why I had to be really persistent and, you know, some might say pushy, but I was just like, in my mind, I was like, he's my last hope for, you know, not braces, right? Braces at the end of the world. And I still have AFOs. And sometimes on set, I still, I wear them too, because it helps my, my feet still get fatigued. And at the end of the day, they're not going to lift as well as they would at the beginning of the day. But, um, he eventually found, a that the, when you, I pushed the ball of my foot down. So basically the ball, like just under the big toe still had a lot of strength in it. And it was not something that he was doing regularly. It was a, a very rare surgery for him. And I think that's why he had to weight on it a little bit and wanted me to try the braces first to think on it because he's also very careful. He he won't necessarily let the patient decide, oh, I'm a candidate for surgery. So you're going to do because I'm Becky and I'm, you know, bossy and uh gonna come in and be like, look, I'm I'm determined. You can do this for me. Whatever it is, it'll help. He's like, not so fast. Like I will not operate on people's feet that I know I will not help or that won't come out on the other side with an improvement. But um you know, fast forward, I went back to him again and again. And eventually, um, it's not that he caved because I I was pushy, I joke, but uh, he did give me he did assign me braces and and said, you you know, you have to try it. I'm not going to put a timeline on it, but you have to give it a try. And if you if it's still not right for you, and you're still wanting to you think you want to pursue the search, knowing you're kind of right on the line of where I would draw the candidacy for um, patients for surgery, then I'll leave that choice up to you. And that was huge because I did. I, gave, I think I gave it about three months, but then I was like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, let's do it. But he told me after surgery, I'm so glad that um, that you were persistent with me and that we did go through with it because your surgery went so well that now I'm confident to do that on other people and other patients. Wow. And he performed another surgery, I think a month after mine for this woman who flew down from Canada and did the exact same surgery on her that he did for me. Wow. That's amazing. So I also want to say though, like when, before, when I said I'm not a candidate, the big reason I wouldn't be a candidate personally is because back when I was a young kid, the, the protocol, because I didn't know a lot about CMT was even though I didn't fall yet, <laughs> even though I didn't break ankles, they fused your feet back then or some doctors. So both of my ankles are completely fused. I have no movement up and down or side by side. So that's why I personally wouldn't be a candidate. And also for those listening, that's also why some shoes work for me and don't work for some of you 
um, that I post because I don't have movement in my ankle. So I don't worry about falling down from a, or rolling my ankles on, Mm. you know, a higher platform type shoe. So that said, but Becky, your story is incredible and so interesting. And really you're his like biggest fan. I see all over (laughs) your Instagram, like he should be paying you to. My hero. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, you you also mentioned that the recovery period after your surgery was positive in a lot of ways and life-changing. Can you speak to why that was and what you kind of discovered more about your truth or uncovered during that time? And I guess that that's another way in which I was lucky with this process because I used to live in LA for a long time. So for me during the pandemic to have to recover there was probably easier than it is for all people. So I don't want to minimize that um, stress for people that, you know, because I get it and Airbnb is expensive, like flights are expensive and it's not easy by any means. But I think because of the nature of that time period and working remote and, and I had a handful of people that were away. So, you know, I was able to extend my stay there and stay at friends' apartments or whatever and have some, and have some help. So I, I don't want to dismiss that aspect for people. And, and I, do feel that that worked in my favor as well to have a a bit of a network in LA. But I think that's also why I felt so comfortable and empowered to go there alone and do the surgery alone because I wasn't actually alone. I had plenty of of friends around that were just a phone call away. Um, But I guess I've always seen myself as a, I guess, an independent person. But once you do certain things or you achieve certain things, you're like, okay, well now, like how much, what else could I, what more could I do? And you sort of almost lose that part of like that, what it feels like to do something for the first time or have that challenge. So I guess that's what the surgery felt like to me from beginning to end, you know, from calling an Uber in the morning and going to the hospital, you know, at the crack of dawn and and checking myself in. It's like immediately they make you feel so supported and taken care of at the hospital. It's like you constantly are surrounded by teams of people looking out for you. And I thought everybody was so lovely there. And the day just felt like a dream. That's why I called it a Grey's Anatomy episode in the article. Because in my head, I was like, that's what this is. I'm like, I really did feel like a star, (laughs) like getting wheels down the, the hall in my thing and everyone trying to comfort me and make me feel okay as they're like, sticking it who knows how long that needle is with the the nerve blocker into my leg but I'm like with all that attention I felt great and you know um I think then in the aftermath of it it was just sort of finding a different strength that you don't necessarily know you have until you're faced with a situation like that and I think instead of looking at it like oh this is so hard or so difficult or why did I do this it was more the opposite it was like look how much I can do on my own. And I'm doing this all for in the back of my mind the whole time was like, this went well. And Dr. Pfeffer told me that. And like, I'm like, I I didn't know exactly what I would walk like afterwards, but I knew it would be, you know, better, hopefully. And any improvement at that stage was, was a plus for me and was an advantage. So I think keeping that in my, the back of my mind the whole time made it feel that like every, every day was, was worth it. But I just, I think it was just a new challenge and a new way to sort of prove to myself, like, oh, I still got it. I can still sort of take care of Mm -hmm. myself. Not that I didn't rely on people to bring me food or help me into the bathtub when I, you know, first tried, but eventually it's like you get a routine down and you realize sort of how much, um, strength you have, I guess, not just in a, and and it's ironic because we're talking about the strength of our foot and muscles and walking and things like that. But I think it's like, you kind of dig down for something deeper as well. And then you kind of lean on that throughout the whole process. So I I think it was like, I was more proud than anything. 
So I think people will really, um, they already have. I mean, your post is really, it's probably the longest post we've posted ever. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's not short. It has many pictures of how Becky looked before, after surgery, the process of recovery. Um, And, you know, it's really, even if you're not considering surgery or thinking about surgery, your story about, um, you know, going from denial to acceptance is really powerful. And I think many people um, who haven't read it should, and I hope you do. Um, so Becky, what t- because I'm just curious, and I know people are, tell people what you do quickly now so that they know if they are watching show and they're like, oh, well, I wonder what that woman who was on Embrace It with Lainey and Estella, I wonder where she works now. So where do you work and what mm-hmm. do you do? Um, yeah, I'm the senior field producer at Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, and this is my fifth season in New York. I love that you are able to kind of come full circle now and approach your life with with more authenticity and just more. I can see you're just more comfortable because I've 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 been there um, with you in certain stages of your journey, and we've met up in the city and we've talked about this personally. And you just look lighter and you sound lighter. And I think that's really the underlying message here is that, that, you know, uncovering our truth and and embracing our authenticity is not like this linear, nice, straight path. It's, it is, it's got its ups and its downs. And sometimes you retract, you go back and then you go forward again. And it's got all these loops and turns. And, but at the end of the day, I think if we still keep our eyes on the prize, which I think for you at the beginning, you know, you knew right away that you wanted to become this person that was comfortable in their own skin. And it was just a matter of finding your own path to becoming that person. And and you really just are a beautiful advocate for learning how to advocate for ourselves first, right? Before we can advocate for the disability community or whatever disease community at large, because that's the foundation that you're going to be able to build that, that muscle from. That's exactly right. And I think that's why I kept flip-flopping with, I want to be there where, where you two were. I looked up to you guys so, I mean, I still do, but I think at that first dinner, I'll never forget how powerful that was. And I looked up to you guys and I was like, oh, I want to be like them. I want to be able to be talking about this because they're both, they're so beautiful inside and out and are doing so much and so smart and strong and ambitious. And I would love to use this for good too. But I think the conflict I had to deal with was like getting there on my own first before I was then ready to like actually put myself out there in an effective way. And um, I'll just add that, like, I think with the confidence and feeling lighter, I'm glad that that comes off because that's how I feel. I do think surgery had a huge impact on that, not just because I came out like, oh, okay, I can walk better. I think it was just the whole process had had something to do with that. And it, it gets me a little bit closer to that 3.0, as you mentioned earlier, Lainey, of not just being able to find a way to talk about it in two to three sentences, but actually using it as a way that it sort of shapes me as a person that makes me more interesting, um, have more depth, I think. And Mm -hmm. and I guess that was perhaps why I also felt like I now reflect on surgery as such a great experience, because I think that was a big takeaway for me as well. Becky, even though, and by the way, Estelle and I are so proud of you, but even though I am not like clairvoyant, I don't know for sure, I have this gut, this very strong belief that now is when you will meet the perfect person for you because you are open and you're authentically you. 
and you're taking care of yourself. And that's when that probably will happen. So I can't wait to hear about that. And I better be on the wedding <laughs> list. That's all I got. Okay. We love you guys. We're going to end with what we try to end with when we remember to end this way, which is we'd like to ask you, tell us what embrace it means to you. Okay. Let me, I, I don't, I'm going to jump the gun here. I'm going to think on it like a Ruth Bader Ginsburg would. <laughs> I, I, I guess it kind of goes along with the theme of, of what this podcast has covered, which is the moment that I was fully able to embrace it myself. It's just incredible how my life shifted and kind of opened up again. It's like for the longest time, I would say, I want to be like the old Becky that was just so comfortable in her skin and would go anywhere and talk to anybody. And, and there were, there was really no mm, insecurity, I guess. Not that I was overly confident either, but it was, I, I was, I, I had honestly, I'd never dealt with depression before. I'll just use that as an example. Whereas I, I had since then. And the difference now is that I don't want to go back to old Becky. I really like who I am today. And mm. I really don't think I would change it, which would have been very difficult for me to have said even maybe three or four years ago. I like how it's shaped me as a person and make me have a different perspective and understanding of other people, whether it's CMT or something else entirely. And I think all of that has to do with just embracing it and accepting this is part of who I am. It's not all of who I am, but it's a part of me that I don't have to be ashamed of. And that if I actually speak of it and could put it out there in a way that might be helpful or effective for other people, then that's actually um, a pretty amazing thing that makes me kind of proud, to be honest, to be <laughs> sitting here with CM CMT with you two talking about um, major, I don't know, life. <laughs> that <laughs> is a, uh, that's an Emmy award-winning answer right there for a TV producer. Oh my gosh, you're too kind. It petered out. I'm going to listen back to that and be like, oh gosh, edit, edit. Nope, nope. We're going to embrace all of it, every imperfection, every misstep along the way. And we really are just so thrilled to see you in this space, Becky. And I'm I'm confident that moving forward that there will be lots of other opportunities in our paths to work together, to partner together, to align our missions together and um, and empower the community and each other. So thank you for what you do. I know you're super busy. So thank you for coming on. And um, people, if you want to get in touch with Becky, read her post. She's been commenting on all the comments that are on the post. So mm -hmm. probably a great way uh, to connect and ask questions that you might have. And one more thing, I'm going to I'm gonna share Dr. Pfeffer's page from the HNF website in the show notes for anyone who would like to learn more about Dr. Pfeffer and have a free virtual surgery evaluation. Feel free to visit that page. Thank you both so much for having me. And I'm sorry I look like I just rolled out of bed. <laughs> this is why we do a podcast. Yes. All right. Bye, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Hey, Embracers. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the Embrace It podcast brought to you by Launchpad 516 Studios, executive produced by George Andriopoulos and hosted by Lainey Ishbia and Estella Lugo. Our music and sound effects are licensed through Epidemic Sound. Embrace It is hosted with Buzzsprout. Do you have a disability related topic you'd love for us to feature? Or could someone you know be a fabulous guest on our show? 
We would love to hear your comments and feature them on our next podcast. So leave us a voicemail or you can even send us a text to 631-517-0066. Make sure to subscribe to this feed wherever podcasts are available and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts while you're at it. Follow us at embraceit underscore podcast on Instagram. And make sure to follow all the great podcasts produced by Launchpad 516 Studios. We hope you join us next time and continue to embrace it.